The definition of me will never be defined by you and what you deem me to be. No trial or experimentation will ever reveal the depth of my blackness. My likeness of man falls short in your capability to see that we are designed from the same mind, body, and soul. The same cells, the same molecules, the same atoms. Our blood runs just like yours, and still you contest my mere existence. You lay comforted in the falsities that look like the truth, praying to a God that you feel you have ownership to. Because you have the superior mind, right? America, this is what I need you to know. If the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, then perhaps you should be the new nigga in the cage. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, America. I would like to thank you to another episode of The Bubble. Things Black people are talking about that white people should know. I am your host, Gloria Rose Lee, along with my fabulous co-host, yet again, Latrice Torres. And this is a continuation of the previous podcast. So if you didn't check that out, it was the, it's, this whole podcast is a, right now, uh, our latest topic is uh, healthcare disparities. And the last podcast, we kind of talked about why those existed, like how did they even begin? You know, and as usual with most black Americans, everything starts with slavery because that's how we got here. And so we left off with talking about experimentation and that still boggles my mind because the, all the experiments were done to try to figure out what is black? Like, can we catch blackness? Is blackness we can give to our kids? If I stand too close, you know, it, is it going to rub off on me? It was the level of ignorance that existed and how they tried to figure it all out. They're still trying to figure it out. But I like the idea of explaining what experiment means. Now, Trees, what does, does experiment mean? So if you go and look this up, this Google experiment or experimentation right now and went to dictionary.com or Wikipedia, the short version of it, because it will break it down and give you the Latin base, everything, the root, all of that. But if you break it down, the short version, version of it is experimentation is to prove or refute a hypothesis. So based on what you just said, you know, that will it will it rub off? Will it, you know, can we burn it off? Can we can we do something to turn it white, you know, which is, you know, in our eyes right. And I'm I'm speaking from the white pers perspective. I don't know if they say that or not, but in my head they do or they did. <laughs> but the point is is that a lot of the experimentation again was to either prove or refute their hypothesis. The problem was is that I don't think at least in my head i feel like maybe it continued over and over and over again it's because they only were ever trying to prove their hypothesis not refute it but prove we're inferior prove we bleed differently prove we think differently prove that we're just inferior in all different types of ways not not refute that that you know well you know hold up maybe maybe we're gonna find out <laughs> that they're actually like brilliant creatures. Let's do experiments to try to figure that out, right? So it never, I, I feel like 
that's why they they were so even hideous and atrocious in nature was because they really weren't experimenting to to either prove or refute it was more of here's what we think they are let's prove it through these experiments and that's just in my gut what i feel like might have been why it, it, it happened in a way that it did and just a theory. It, it, I, and i well here's the thing even if that is a theory it's substantiated because mm -hmm. if you look at the experiments that they did and the fact that they wrote medical journals and cataloged black species and their conditions okay because we were considered unhumane and beastly and, and if you think about it how can a human being they, they got two eyes got two ears they got a nose a mouth legs arms they got everything you got but for some reason they it 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 we were not the same and it, and then i it, it cracks me up because even though we are not the same even though they they tried to prove that we were not the same that that we smelled differently that we behaved differently that we took care of our children differently but if that was the case then why did they bring us in the house if it, it why why would we be allowed if we were a different species why would we be allowed to suckle their babies so which means they were willing to give their babies eight milk that was okay when you think back like you take a you know 20 foot look at it and you know hindsight is 2020 absolutely and and but if you think about it so many thoughts about what it was and and what what we were and were not they contradicted like the whole concept of the things like we're lazy but we're hard working because we're out in the fields and we and right. we're out there because we were so hard working and you know that but at the same time but we're also lazy like those two things like how do those two thoughts exist at all and you can give like a hundred examples of that then that was the problem was that it again i i feel like everything was about proving these theories rather than you know refuting them or even just exploring the possibility that their assumptions could possibly be wrong. So you have doctors, you have these medical professionals that are out there and in the beginning. So doctors originally only had to have a year and a half of practice, right? Because hospitals were even a new concept. It was like a whole new innovation. You know, if, if you're sick, if you're hurt, we're gonna take you over into this shed and we're gonna, we're gonna practice on you, <laughs> okay? But, and a lot- and just to your point, when you say a year and a half, that is both education and practice. That's yes. both, right? Yes. So like now where we've got, you know, eight years of schooling before you're even getting to the, you know, the, the, the practical, you've just got that theory, right? Of that, that all was happening at the same time. It was only a year and a half in it. So that's some scary shit to me to think about. Yeah, that, that these doctors were cutting off limbs you know doing things like bloodletting and like we were talking about bloodletting the other day and you were like that came from medieval times you know where they would sit there and they would drain your blood because they felt that you had bad blood and you know and it expected you to live after they took off maybe 12 like 12 ounces they all it, they also think that uh bloodletting was the reason why george washington actually died total sidebar but that cracks me up 
Um, mm-hmm. But the first medical, let's go back. But the first medical school was University of Pennsylvania. And that was in, uh, that was established in 1756. And then they decided that it needed to be more more professional, more more education, because there was more diseases. They were finding out more things from dissect from dissecting and autopsies. You know, they were starting to really see that medicine was a profession. So, in 1847, the American Medical Association was founded at a doctor's congress. They all got together and they're like, "Okay, we need to do better." But if you think about it, from 1756 to 1847 it's a lot of years and a lot of shit can go bad in that amount of time and you can only assume that the advancements that were made between 1756 and 1847 were because the available black body now whether that black body was a slave whether it was a sharecropper whether however they got it they got it and they experimented on it 1876 comes around john hopkins medical school comes out and they are like no if the doctor's congress is saying we need to be more professional and we need to have this kind of education then let's actually design a curriculum for schools and that actually laid the foundation for medical schools today right so then you look at all the popular medical schools like if you graduate from harvard or if Yale, then you're lucky. Because the average doctor, I'm gonna I'm tell you a secret, the average doctor ain't coming from there. The one in your local town did not practice in some great medical school. No, 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 my friends. The average doctor comes from a medical school in the West Indies and the Caribbean. Okay, that's where they're going to learn to practice on you in the States. And it's funny because if you think about it the west indies and the caribbean some more poor black people some more some more some black bodies (laughs) that they can practice on now how fair is that but you know to this day most teaching hospitals are in inner cities that is a fact. Look that up. <laughs> Most of them are because you're going to get your most practice there, right? So, yeah, it's it. And just for all you math geeks out there, that means the, re- the today's requirement as far as schooling, that means we probably are about three generations in, in that level of requirement to be a doctor. It's only 145 years from that point until now. So again just think about that that we're we're only a couple generations removed from medical practice of of it being more practical than theoretical um and and practical without a lot of theory for less than 150 years so again scary that's a scary thought scary thought you know (laughs) you know they were doing surgeries right you know, they, they, they had to have been doing surgeries, cutting, like, again, war, cutting people's legs off, cutting people's arms off. You know that they were doing this, and they did it without anesthesia. So anesthesia mm-hmm. wasn't even a thing. But when I, when I looked at where anesthesia came from in the very beginning, it started with ether. And so I can't remember who the scientist or the doctor was, but he wanted to 
understand if ether would actually be okay to use as a as a as anesthesia what he did was he got he kept capturing little black boys and putting ether in a handkerchief and covering their face to see if they died and you know sometimes they will wake up an hour later sometimes they wake up two hours later and that's how they figured out that ether would work as anesthesia so in that mm -hmm. gap this is where this is what we're doing and that again is experimentation and hospitals mm -hmm. continue like you said continue to experiment on poor folks on the in the inner city we were talking about trials and experimentation and you were breaking down if if <laughs> if we put black people in a trial or an experimentation you know what 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 level would they be and you had made mention that they you know from a from a, a scientific point of view black folks would be uh group zero and group one is that what they were or phase zero and phase one i think that's what you called it yeah 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 because clinical trials are they're explained in in phases and i just made me quickly pull that up so i don't um state this incorrectly, but phase one of a clinical trial is exploring if and how a new drug may work. Um, so basically it's done in humans, um, but it's like, it, it's not like the other phases because the purpose is just to really like speed up the timeline and streamline the drug approval process. So we don't really see phase zero um, anymore unless it's something like a new drug that's a derivative of an existing drug that's out there and they just want to see if it works, right? So phase one is what I was making a point of is where black people have just stayed in phase one because that is the treatment safe. And that's what was, what, what was going on over and over. Is it safe? Did they die? Oh, uh, well, then, <laughs> did they not? Did they lose an arm? Like, <laughs> can they see? Are they blind? Like, it was like, so like, that's what is going on in phase one um, clinical trials, because in phase two of a clinical trial is, okay, well, then does the treatment actually work? So they don't die and it actually cures or prevents or whatever, right? So that's what the phase two, the, the, the phase two. Um, and then some drugs that need to go to phase three, phase three again, usually is only if, um, because it's proven whether or not it's actually better than something that actually exists out on the market right now. So typically in the phase, there's usually phase one and phase two. And what I was mentioning is that all of this time with all these different experiments and studies really was just to get through phase one. Like the phase one was what they use available black bodies for. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I keep mentioning phrenology and I know I'm so sorry, but phrenology is like one of them things that just, it gets under my skin because they mm -hmm. use phrenology for the hierarchy of humanity. Mm -hmm. So they tried to figure out in many different ways, like you said, from burning our skin, from, from throwing us in huts, trying to do, uh, trying to figure out what heat stroke is you know from giving us uh caustic things to inhale because we have tuberculosis like they really did do everything they could to to try and not only make things better for themselves but also to prove that we were of a different makeup like our brains were different our lungs were different and whenever they would do these these experiments, they would be like, oh, oh, this works. 
But if it's working and you're doing it on a human, then wouldn't that mean that that person is actually human? You know, and then and then we can talk about if they feel pain. You know, there there was there's this this insane idea that black people deal with pain differently. You know, and and it doesn't matter if we say we're hurting because then again that's malingering, okay? But it doesn't matter if we if we say it, what matters to them is that they can prove that it's different. And time after time, yet again, they can't figure it out. They cannot figure it out. And 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 that's what that's what that's what makes me most incensed is the fact that there were so many people, like great minds as they're called, who wanted to believe that we were different, that we were of a subhuman species. You had people like Alexander Graham Bell, Henry Ford, George Eastman, that's Eastman Kodak, John Kellogg, that's that that's the that's the what is it? The uh cornflakes you like to eat in the morning yes he felt that black people were inferior now you have to remember that john kellogg had like a, a resort for health so he was the guru on health okay but he felt that black people's health was totally different when you think about what they were trying to prove and how they never were able to define it it, it, it makes you wonder what was the what was the what was the drive what was the true drive in these medical experiments to prove that we were not human and then once you find out we are and and then that 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 had to to me that had to strike something in them and and whatever it struck in them okay because they carried it on now they're practicing they're 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 doctors out there practicing and showing other doctors how to do this and showing other doctors, you know, how to get available bodies. It went from generation to generation. And like you said, it's still, like we just said, it's still going on now. It's, it's not any different. There was no well, change in, in the thought. There's a very interesting article, um, and I forgot to tell you about this, so I'm interrupting you because it's just, I don't want to miss it because it's so pertaining to this, of like the thought of this isn't, like what they thought way in the past, like there's something like very, very interesting, um, but it's um, from the Associ Association of American Medical Colleges. And this was in a 2000, 2016 study. And it said that 40% of first and second year medical students endorsed the belief that black people's skin is thicker than white people. <laughs> And it's like, so it's not even, so like when you say these things and you're like, it was this belief in, you know, the experimentations and we think of these things happening like really, really long time ago, but it, it, it has led the way it plays out in present day is that it plays out in like see, these deep seated beliefs that there still is some difference in the way that people can tolerate pain that, you know, and it, and it, it's all due to for some reason, skin color. Medical students will believe yes. that's connected to skin, to skin color, which is just—it's insane. It's—it's actually—it's—it's um, it's appalling. And you know, I—I I, I used to teach a class, um, um, an unconscious bias class by Franklin Covey, that quotes um, in there that says basically that black patients are 22% less likely to receive um, pain medication when they go into the hospital than a white patient. And yet 
when they surveyed the the same nurses that or well, the same nurses in the facilities where they found that information and asked if they felt like they were biased when it came down to patient care 97% said no so like it's a it's it's a it's a weird dynamic where no we're not making a difference in in that but there's a deep seated belief in root that's causing it it's still happening and it's the numbers. Like I'm not making this up. You can go and read this. Go to aamc.org and you can read all the studies that are out there. Just put in medical disparities or pain medication disparities or um, pain management disparities. If you put in any of those things in AAMC, all of the research will come up. So it's, it's I want to say, you know, it was all these things that were happening way back then. And that's what most, you know, people, when you get ready to have this conversation, they'll have that argument. But, you know, this is still deep-seated. It, it's laid the foundation for, for, for beliefs that people still have now. And, and then it's the fact that they feel that, you know, maybe if more Black people would be willing to do, to be a part of these studies, so if you you know we we were talking about voluntary versus involuntary, like you in, in some in some instances in the very beginning you know like in the 1756, 18th century you didn't black people didn't have an option. It wasn't like they could tell their slave master no no please don't sell don't sell me to the doctor because I know what he's going to do no 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 if you were found unfit. You could very well be sold to a doctor who is going to do some heinous things to you in the in the for the sake of medicine or even loaned like that yeah. was there was a lot of loaning of black bodies not even you know here you can have this by it actually they really only gave the body to the black doctor if the doctor determined this they're gonna die anyway so you might as well give them to me now so like that, that was when they, they actually were given, but most of the time it was alone. I can't make my mortgage. I can't, you know, I need to provide food. My daughter's getting married. I need to pay for it. So here's a couple you know, slaves for you to experiment on, you know, pay me for this and I'll get that right is the quid pro quo. So like yeah. a lot of the times it was loan and on a barter system, because again, it wasn't even all the time that we were even worth um, money. Um, I, I hear black people sometimes make comments about, you know, money, like the money itself being being dirty because we were traded for money. And I remind them very quickly, nah, bro, you were traded for potatoes. Like, <laughs> if you thought we were worth money, you tripping. <laughs> like, it was like, take a nigga for a mule. Like, that's the way that it was you know or you know we my family needs medical treatment so go ahead and cut this nigga up right yeah. so that's how blatant and, and and atrocious that things were so it's it just again i when people say why do black people distrust the medical community these are the stories that we hear this is what's passed down to us this is the things that we know of and um you know it's past present and future so it's a scary thing for us and we would, and again, we would volunteer in some instances, you know, as, as time, as, as time progressed, um, you know, we would volunteer because at least, and this sounds so bad when I say it out loud, 
At least when you were a slave, the slave master could get a white doctor to come take care of you. Once slavery was over, you were on your own. You were, and, and there's no telling what kind of doctor or care you're going to get. Now, granted, with the slave master, it wasn't no better, but at least you got somebody, you know? And then once you're, you become a sharecropper, okay? You're out there, you get you diabetic, hurt your finger, don't even understand what sugar is. Go to the doctor, fingers are about to fall off. So the doctor cuts your whole hand. Now what? Okay, because that's the kind of medical care you were expected to receive. So, you know, black folks learned how to cut the finger off, carterize it, put some salve on it, wrap it up, keep it clean. We figured that shit out. Right. Because we didn't have a choice. Mm-hmm. And then, and you, to your point, and we were, we, we Gloria and I have this debate, like, before and after slavery, like what what's the mindset of of a person and when it comes down to to medical care? Because as quick as we are to remind everybody Tuskegee, like we quick to pull out some Tuskegee, right? We like yeah, remember Tuskegee, but what we don't talk about about Tuskegee is that all six hundred of those men volunteered. Now, yes, under false pretense, absolutely, but they volunteered because look, the lore of it was free medical care, right? Like for mm-hmm. you and your family and all they had to say to them was because, you know, you might have bad blood. It didn't take much, but all that meant was if you were feeling sick, well, it must be that bad blood. You know, if, you, if it's anything like the, the equivalent of it today for all the black people listening to it is the sugar, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I got the shake, oh, it must be the sugar, right? <laughs> you got bad that potentials. Right, but it was bad. Yeah, (laughs) but it was bad blood, right? At At that point, it was all about bad blood. And again, it was free medical care, free this, free that. So that that was the big problem at that point. And then when you think about, you know, voluntary versus involuntary, I can only imagine being a woman and having women's issues and not having a doctor to take care of me, not having anesthesia to to aid me in C-sections because C-sections are that old. And then when I think about all this, there's that wonderful doctor, James Morrison Sims. Like he, he, he is responsible for the first woman's hospital in uh, New York. He is responsible for uh, inventing the speculum that doctors now use when you go and have your pap smear. So this man is regarded as the father of gynecology. However, the the way he got there was by way of slave women, that he would admittedly get them addicted to morphine and then take the morphine away to do the surgeries. And he learned how to do fistulas, verovascular I can't pronounce it, but it's it's a fistula, it's a hole in, in, in a woman's cervix that can happen when you use certain devices during childbirth. This whole thing, this woman's healthcare portion is so personal to both of us because we both have stories that exist only because we're black women who sought medical care. 
I, I, I'll tell you my story. It, 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 it's worth it. I can't remember the year because it escapes me. I, I want to say maybe 2012, 2013. Like so many women out there, I had precancerous cells um, on my cervix. And so we, and I knew that they were there because of previous pap smears. And, and, and it, I, it had gotten to a point where those spots were now growing. And I can, I remember when the doctor first told me about the spots, like seven years ago, I knew exactly where they were. So when the gynecologist told me, hey, you know, she drew a circle and then cut it up in fours and said, this is this zone and this zone, you know, have new growths and you need to do something about it. I was like, okay, I already knew about that. Let's do it. So they first do one procedure, try to try to get it, didn't work. They tried another procedure and it still wasn't getting it. So she told me I was going to have to, she was, she was going to burn off my cervix. Now, <laughs> this should have been done in same day surgery. I didn't know that because I was trusting. I didn't think that I, as a medical professional myself, I knew this doctor, I worked with her, you know, I, she, she was there when I, when I've helped deliver babies, we, I knew her. So I didn't think that she was actually going to do what she did. So I get it, I fast forward, I get into, I get my appointment for this procedure and she ends up shaving a fourth of an inch off of my cervix while I was awake. All she did was numb it. And I kept saying, I can feel that. I can feel that. I can feel that. She's like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And when you smell flesh, your own flesh from between your legs, and she's telling you to just hold on, that is a feeling that I can't even describe. So she gets done. And she sends me home and I'm bleeding profusely and I'm cramping like nobody's business. And I'm telling her something is wrong. And she's like, well, you know, it, that's what's going to happen. You'll be okay. Two days later, I'm still bleeding. I'm still in horrible pain. They're like, why well, are you taking the Tylenol? Uh, yeah, it's not cutting it. What about the ibuprofen? How the ibuprofen that, that, that has nothing to do. No, that's not going to work. I'm still in pain. I'm still bleeding. So I come back a week later after the procedure so she can check me. And I said, I just stopped bleeding, you know, the day before yesterday. And she says, well, why didn't you come and tell me? I, I called the nurse. I called the nurse and told her what was going on. She apologized, but it still left an impression. It, 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 that impression was so bad that before I go and have a pap smear to this day, and this is sad, but I feel like I need a Xanax because the anxiety that rises in me when I think about laying down, opening up my legs and trusting another person I can't see to do what is medically necessary and right, I don't have that trust. Trust takes a lifetime to build, but only a second to break down. And I've had pap smears all my life, you know, since I was 14. And now I am at a place where, you know, I need somebody to hold my damn hand. And it shouldn't be that way. That should not have happened. So, Trace, you tell your story. Yeah, and it's 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 not too dissimilar from that, except mine ended in a hysterectomy, which 
Um, again, by the statistics, more black women end up with unnecessary hysterectomies. And at one point, it actually was a practice um, to, to promote black women getting hysterectomies as a part of population control for, yep. you know, lack of a better term for it. And, um, and that's essentially what happened to me of, I've, I've had three children. Um, I'm that crazy person who's like, no, my ancestors just went out to the field and had babies and kept on pushing. So I had no anesthesia, no nothing. I had all of my babies natural. I'm a real woman, stupid and young, but, <laughs> but, but, but that's, that's what I did. I didn't start having, um, issues until I had a, um, a cyst that grew on one of my ovaries. And when that happened, it, it turned into just a whole whirlwind, whirlwind of issues that ensued after that of just terrible medical care after that. Um, doctor after doctor, complaint after complaint, hospitalization after hospitalization of trying to resolve this issue because not only did a cyst develop, but it bled in, it burst. I will never forget being at work and that cyst bursting. And I remember seeing, um, I was in pain and the doctors were like, oh, just take some Tylenol and everything. And I'm like, no, this is not right. Something is wrong. Like, and they just saying, and finally I, I complained so much and I went to the ER and they gave me Tylenol with codeine. And because I was a single parent at the time, taking care of three kids, you know, here I was at work on town, all with coding. Yeah, you know how that turned out. But I remember seeing like these uh, look like fairy dust was 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 flying in in the from the sky just magically in my office. And then the next thing I know, I woke up and and I'm being like they're prepping me for surgery. And the only thing that I could think I was like, I had just started a new job. And when I say just started a new job, like I had started on Monday and this was like Wednesday. And I was like, tell my boss I'll be back Friday. <laughs> like someone call, call my boss. <laughs> It's just a minor surgery, right? <laughs> and I remember I'm what you used to you used to say: pain makes the woman. Pain makes the woman. Yeah, I was that crazy person. I really was. So I was like, like, yeah, I'm one of those admitted. No, I tolerate pain again. Like everything I do. If you know me, you know how many how many times my ancestors did this comes out of my mouth. It's almost a daily thing. I have it as an excuse for everything. <laughs> up and including pain but anyways i the the problem was was that every time i would go and see my gynecologist they wanted to do a new procedure i have lost count of the procedures and again to gloria's point there is no smell like the smell of burning flesh coming from your insides while you are awake right and it's horrible and i i went through countless different things and this at this point there was nothing they could do but take me to surgery or i was going to die and um and then after that surgery i had so much internal scarring that nobody wanted to do anything about despite my history that i had times where i even had a time where i passed out 
and my young kids were at home and my boys my two oldest boys had to call the ambulance and i all i remember is them riding in the ambulance but they were smart enough to say mommy is not good and we better call the ambulance and i they rode in the ambulance with me i'll never forget that that was right before i left las vegas and they rode in they rode in the ambulance to me to the hospital but when i got to new jersey my i finally found a doctor who was like, no, we really got to look at what's going on with you. Like your medical chart is like 45 pages, something is wrong <laughs> of just like your, gyneco your gynecological issues and they're not even connected to your pregnancies. And, um, and I really feel like at that point, she was just like, you know what, let's just do a hysterectomy and get it over with. And I was fully on board because all I care, all I heard was you'll never have a period again. And I was like, that sounds great to me. But the point was that was because that kept aggravating all of the different trauma that had happened in my body. But again, there probably were alternative ways to had addressed my issues. Um, and I, even though I was very much done with having kids, you know, still I ended up, you know, that threw me into menopause and a whole host of new issues that even right now, to your point, Gloria, I literally cannot see a doctor, any doctor, not just a gynecologist, I cannot see a doctor without Xanax. Like, can't do it. I literally take a Xanax to go to the doctor and I tell my doctor, look, I don't even trust you, dude. Like, I trust nobody. <laughs> and 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 it's it's horrible that we have gotten to this extreme fear. It's it's we have evolved in this issue of disparities in medical care with black people from distrust to fear, just like yeah. flat out. And, yeah. and the topic of gynecology, obstetrics, obstetrics, oh my God, OBGYN. Obstetrics. Obstetrics. <laughs> obstetrics. It's not even Friday and I can't talk. I don't understand what is going on with me. Obstetrics and gynecology, right? Those, they're so big, right? These topics are so big that that's, that will be what our next, this, this part three of this medical disparities conversation, we're just going to focus on that. And yeah. we're going to, we're going to actually bring in a medical professional to me. She's just Auntie Danita, but <laughs> to the rest of the world, she is um, Mrs. Danita Rose who is a um, RN and a highly experienced nurse in, in the OBGYN field. It has been for about 30 years now. And she's gonna talk to us. She, um, she's again, like one of the smartest people I know and that I look up to. And I thought it'd be a really good idea that since this is where we're going to go as far as women's health, that we bring her in and, and, and make her a part of the conversation. So we'll do a full introduction of her when she joins us next week. We're excited to have her. Um, but I really, we're going to turn on messages for this podcast. You know, please share your stories with us. We may even, you know, end up integrating them into next week's conversation. So I'll drop a link in, in, in this particular podcast so that you can call in, type in, email in, whatever your um, your thoughts, your stories, things about your interactions with, with the medical community. Absolutely. Absolutely. I told you, I, I, I told y'all we would get here. I told you we get here. May take some time, but we got here. So let's, we're going to wrap this up. And I want you guys to think about this. There is a 
word called iatrophobia. And iatrophobia is signified by persistent, extreme, and unexplained dread of visiting and meeting doctors. An iatrophobic person tends to avoid all kinds of appointments with doctors and often delays any medical checkups. So what we just said probably sounds very familiar because this is a real thing for Black people in America. You know, as a medical professional, I hear all kinds of stereotypical beliefs about why minorities have poor health care, always putting us at fault. But really, is it all our fault? Is the fear unbased or unjustified? I mean, if the actual skeleton in your closet was a Black person who died from lack of efficient health care, would you blame them? I know people who are afraid to go to the hospital because the hospital is responsible for a family member's death. And per the use, we blame the victim. You know, and doctors pick this demographic because they are the most vulnerable, the most willing to do what they say with no questions asked because they trust that you know what the hell you're doing. Dressed in a white coat and a stethoscope, you know? And then you, you still have family members who tout the idea, you better not trust them. You'll end up on a cold slab, faceless and nameless, ready for the students to practice on you. And if you live, you better hope they give you the right medicine. Because the next thing you know, you got lips that look like a blowfish. And all you were doing is taking blood pressure medicine. Just look at, like we were saying, Black women's health care. I am more likely to die of breast cancer. They blame that on the amount of melanin in our skin. I am more likely to die in childbirth because we don't get prenatal care. But how do you get prenatal care if your local OBGYN is booked out four months at a time? Or, or better yet, you get a resident from the university of who the fuck knows. And our children are more likely to die in infancy. You take the baby to the doctor and the doctor doesn't believe the symptoms you're describing to them. I got a story for that one too. So this is the call to action. We are 13% of the population, but only 4% of all doctors of all specialties. Representation matters. Documentation needs to be re-examined with a lens of transparency. And it is our responsibility. We need to take responsibility for our health care and build trusting relationships with our health care providers. I know it's scary, but it's what we need to do so that the next generation continues. Okay. All right, America, I want to thank you yet again for tuning in and listening to two black chicks in a microphone who, uh, who are just talking about the things that we, that, that we normally talk about. So you're kind of eavesdropping yet again on us. So America, I thank you.